I could see the writing on the wall. To be honest, I should have done it earlier, but I had to sit down and really make a list and say, okay, what did I think about when I was starting the business, but what's the reality now? And who am I responsible to now? Hello and welcome to Learn with Shopify. I'm Benjamin Gottlieb. So here's a question for you. When you think of a flower store, what comes to mind? Well, if you're like me, you likely think of buying this at the corner shop. Maybe it's a neighborhood run store or in a pinch, it's the supermarkets. Okay, don't at me. But if your name is Jennifer Fallow, your store is completely online. It's called Wild North Flowers. She's been doing this for about six years. And as Jennifer will tell us in a few moments, it's been working out pretty well. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. So good to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So a digital first flower shop, right? I mean, when I think about flowers, I think they're very sensory. It's very much about the smell and the sight. I'm sure that posed a lot of challenges for you. Yeah. Yeah, it did. I mean, I'm someone who's always loved, like I literally couldn't walk past a flower store without going in as a kid. I've always been obsessed with them. But when I started working in one, I realized it just didn't really make sense. I mean, the vast majority of people now that are wanting to send flowers are not going into a local store to order. You know, they, they're searching online and the process was back in 2015 when I started looking into this, it was brutal. It was expensive. You didn't know what you were going to get. There were like hundreds of options listed often. Uh, customer service was like non-existent. You know, there was a lot of problems with these sort of order gatherers. So you didn't even know who you were ordering from. And I just thought, okay, ordering flowers online should be easy. It should be enjoyable. And um, yeah, like it should be something that is fun for both the sender and the recipient. So I decided to to start an online-only flower business. <laughs> you said send, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I would imagine that means if someone's like, oh, shoot, I got to send flowers to so-and-so, it's her birthday, right? Yeah. That's kind of where you're you're kind of positioning yourself and you're, where you want your clients to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, about 40% of our daily orders are for birthdays. And that's something I did not realize uh, when we started out. But birthdays are a huge one. But, you know, of course, there's sympathy. It's funny. A lot of people assume flowers are, you know, being purchased by men for their female partners. But it's really not the case. Like 80%, around 80% of flowers are bought by women for other women. It's not this sort of romantic gesture that I think a lot of people as associate with flowers, other than, of course, Valentine's Day. But yeah, it's uh, any occasion, job promotion, congrats on a new baby, new house, lots of just because. And then now um, we are finding a lot more people are ordering flowers for themselves, which is really nice. It sounds really nice. What also has been really nice is that it's been successful, a successful business. You told me before we started talking that you did around or over 2 million in sales, which is fantastic. But I have to ask you, can you can you walk us through how you decided to approach your business this way? I mean, I mean, I would imagine there were so many challenges when you first got started. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I was actually um, a very unhappy PhD student. <laughs> I was kind of miserable. And so I realized all the screenshots on my uh, phone were of flowers. So I decided to take a floral design course. And I'd say like maybe a day or two into the course, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to finish that PhD. I, I loved everything about flowers. Um, so I started working in a flower store and quickly realized, you know, it's a seasonal industry. It's really not one where... Um, 
I wouldn't go into it if you're trying to make a ton of money. You know, like it's very difficult working with a perishable product. And I thought, okay, I if I want to do this, I want to, um, as a career, I want to do it for myself. And I spent like, I'd say three, four months on my couch just researching, kind of like pretending I was still doing the PhD, but this time with flowers and came up with the business plan. And, and honestly, it was um, it was crucial that Shopify existed. You know, I, I w- would never have launched an online only flower business if it wasn't for Shopify, to be honest. Uh, it was just so easy. And uh, I, I can't code. I, I don't know anything about coding. But myself and, you know, a couple friends were able to basically piece it together. I decided from the beginning that it was going to be online only because the thing with a retail storefront is you end up spending so much time trying to make it look pretty. You know, it's got to be stocked. Customers expect the fridge to be full of flowers, even if they're only going to buy like five of them, right? And so there's all this wasted inventory. Um, and you end up spending a lot of time. It's just inefficient. Like you're, you're, I wanted to be spending the time actually making the beautiful arrangements and be able to have enough time to do customer service properly. And really the only way to do that was to have a, like a closed studio. And so uh, initially we did also, you know, take orders on the phone during business hours, but we really try to gear people towards ordering on the website because it's better for them. Like they catch a mistake, you know, like there's no, you don't mishear someone's name and then spell it wrong. Um, They can you know, they can spend one minute or they can spend an hour placing the order. And so, yeah, we we launched online only. And honestly, people thought it was insane. Like, I remember talking to other people in the industry and they just said, there's no way you can start a flower business without a customer base first. It doesn't make sense. Like, you need to have a retail storefront, at least at the beginning. But between Instagram and Shopify, I just didn't really agree. And so what we did do was that first year we did a lot of pop-ups. And so we still were able to meet customers, have a content to photograph that wasn't just like our studio because we were always setting up for markets and and different pop-up events. So we got to get feedback from customers, but, you know, our day-to-day operations were behind closed doors in the studio. And so it didn't have to look pretty. It just was really efficient. You say it was really efficient, and I can imagine so, given those examples you just shared, right? I mean, you're, when you're walking on the street and you look at a flower store, you're not going into the store that doesn't have any flowers in it, right? At the same time, you also had to kind of set up your digital store to be inviting for folks, right? We, we shop with our eyes and our ears and our noses. Um, so how did you do that with your website? When you look at your site right now, it's very aesthetic. How did you uh, set that up to kind of mimic a flower store, even though... It's online only. I mean, photography was obviously crucial. And so from the beginning, I made sure that we had a beautiful place to photograph all the arrangements. So when it comes to um, flowers, at least, but I think a lot of things, natural light is key. You really, I had learned that actually in a workshop that I took, that the best way to photograph flowers is natural lighting from the side, side lighting. Um, and so when I moved into the studio, I picked like, where's the best window? And the entire studio was designed around making sure we had the best place to take photos. Um, and that was crucial because we needed the customers to feel like they were, you know, part of, they could they could see the arrangement even though, of course, they never saw it in person. Um, but the other thing that we did that I think made a huge difference at the beginning was 
we sent the photo of each arrangement to the sender after it had been delivered, which was a massive time commitment. Um, but it was important for a bunch of reasons. I think um, it gave us credibility because, you know, people are, at that time, people were nervous placing an order online. They honestly thought like maybe it just wouldn't get there. You know, they're like, we're giving you our money and how do we know? that it's going to arrive. Oh, so after it was delivered, you would actually send a photo of the arrangement. Yeah. So what we did was before we sent every arrangement out, we would take a photo of it in that beautiful like side lit window area, um, which A, gave us content to put on our website. So all of the photos on our website were uh, photos of real arrangements that had been delivered. And I think, you know, that gave people some confidence, but it also meant that the sender was involved. You know, they they got to enjoy the flowers in some way because they're like, oh, that's the arrangement. A lot of people that send flowers love flowers themselves, right? And so they got to enjoy it through the photo. Um, and then also, I don't know, I guess it just, yeah, it gave a credibility to, uh, and a personal touch because it meant that we were sending them an email saying, hi, Susan, here's a photo of the arrangement that was just delivered. Hope you have a great day, blah, blah, blah. So we could build a relationship with our customers totally digitally. It's really interesting. I want to get to emails in a moment because it sounds like that's a big part of what you do and how you build your customer base. But when it comes to actually um, getting folks to connect with your products, you mentioned photography. Yeah. I'm just curious. Uh, I would imagine this is applicable to lots of other small business owners out there who are looking to really build themselves up online. Can you tell me how much of a commitment did you make to the photography itself? I mean, is it just you at a studio with your camera and like that's all like just buy a nice camera? Are you are you paying for photographers? I mean, tell me tell me how you made that work. Yeah, so I've always liked taking photos, but I, I don't really know anything about it. Um, so I felt like I had a good idea of what I thought looked good and didn't. Um, so in, at the beginning, you know, I just I, I think I just stole my boyfriend's camera because um, he wasn't really using it. And then as we've um, grown... Uh, we have certain designers who are really like taking photos. Um, for example, right now our head designer, uh, her other favorite thing to do is photography. So she takes photos in the studio as well. And then I've always tried to make sure I have a good iPhone so that I can take good pictures as well. So it sounds like you've prioritized this heavily, but not necessarily a huge financial investment. Is that no, true? Not at all. Yeah. No, we've we've almost never paid for I don't, we've almost never paid for professional photography. Sometimes we do collaborations with photographers, you know, because they want flowers. I mean, we're lucky flowers are so beautiful. Of course, it would be a bit different if, you know, we had a product that like no one really liked to look at. But I think that uh, <laughs> photographers like working with us because they get to take photos of beautiful flowers um, and do something creative. And then they have great content for their social media. So plus, you know, Creative people just like doing creative shoots. We do a lot of creative shoots, um, and that's those are obviously amazingly talented photographers. But no, it hasn't been a lot of money per se. It's just been a lot of effort to make sure that it's the right setup. Well, speaking of effort and circling back to emails, uh, it sounds like you've been very successful in getting folks in the door, the virtual door, mm -hmm. right? But how do you keep them coming back? Uh, you mentioned you have a somewhat robust email program. Share with me some of the learnings you've uh, you found from that. Yeah. So we've only recently have we started using Clavio. Before that, we just literally just sort of would make a newsletter maybe once a month. Um, so 
you know, we've always had like a pretty extensive email list that we've tried not to abuse. Like we don't spam them. You know, we would maybe send newsletters less than 12 times a year, maybe 10 times a year. Um, and so I think for that reason, people didn't, you know, unsubscribe and they... Um, well, no one likes to be spammed, right? No, no one likes to be <laughs> spammed and or feel like they're being sold to all the time. Um, but, you know, we do a lot of... Um, I think we're actually almost at our 50,000th order. So it's a lot of people who have ordered, you know, and so a decent percentage of them have remained subscribed. And so we communicate with them through newsletters, but sparingly. And then, yeah, but we just, we've always had a very sort of casual conversation style via email, but made sure that it felt very personal and friendly from the beginning. And so, of course, initially, you know, it was me um, doing most of the things, but very quickly we hired someone to do admin. And it was very important that that person was able to communicate via email quickly, go back and forth, resolve any problems, and really like develop relationships with the customers. And so people will email like eight months later and be like, hey, Cassandra, I want this or, you know, and uh, they feel like they know you, even though you've only ever been emailing them. How interesting. So an investment there in staffing so that folks are around to kind of communicate sometimes in real time, but in an almost like a ritualistic way yeah. um, with your customers. Yeah. And I find that I think a lot of our customers literally just like type flowers into their email, you know, and then pick up the last time <laughs> they emailed and then thread. they just reply it and say, hey, you know, and ask a question. We've had so many amazing customers that have been with us for almost since the beginning. Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't, they're not ordering flowers like all the time. Even really loyal customers might only order twice a year. But when that occasion comes again the next year, they're, you know, they're sort of feel like they're right back there and that they know you. I'm talking with Jennifer Fallow. She's the founder of Wild North Flowers. It's a digital only flower shop that sources its flowers from mostly Ontario, Canada. Can we talk a little bit about that? I mean, Ontario, Canada, for me, that's not the place that screams out flowers are everywhere all times of the year. Um, but I guess that's actually not true. Uh, you were telling me a little bit about the history of flowers here in this part of the globe. Tell me some more about the name and, and why you decided to go that direction. When I got into the industry, I was honestly, because I didn't know anything about it uh, before I got into it, I think I was a little bit naive and I was really surprised by how environmentally unfriendly the floral industry actually is. Um, most imported flowers have to be shipped all around the world, potentially like from, you know, Ethiopia to Holland and then to Toronto um, in refrigerated trucks and all of that. There's a lot of plastic. Of course, it's a perishable product. And so a lot of it doesn't even end up in a customer's hand. You know, it goes in the compost uh, before it even gets to a customer sometimes. So I was very quickly a little bit I guess, disillusioned with the industry. And then I, at the same time, realized how many amazing flowers were actually grown in Ontario. Um, there's a little microclimate in southern Ontario. You know, a lot of people know about the Niagara region for wines. And I guess it makes sense that flowers are also being grown there too in greenhouses. So it's actually, other than Florida and California, it's the third biggest floricultural hub in North America. Wow. So... And I kind of put it all together and I had this idea of, you know, I think we could do all locally grown flowers all year round, which again, people literally thought 
like, you're ridiculous. Like, they didn't understand it. They didn't understand why at the time they said the customers just don't care because the customers didn't know. Like, it's not like a flower has a label on it when they get it. You know, like, you get an arrangement. You don't know where each flower was grown. And so people within the industry were just really sort of pushing back against it, saying, the customer doesn't care. That's going to be too hard. How are you going to give them what they want at all, you know, throughout the year? But I, I felt pretty strongly that we could make it work as long as we had creative control. You know, in the last few months, we have actually had to do a big pivot and start using imported flowers, which we started doing in January of this year. It's dealing with the fallout from COVID and supply chain issues and the market demands have changed a lot. And so I had to make the, you know, pretty difficult decision to prioritize you know, my staff and, and our customers and be able to continue to go at the rate that we've been going at. Uh, I, I sort of, we got to a point where we said, okay, we can either do Valentine's Day with imported flowers or we can sit Valentine's Day out, but there's no way that we can continue to go with the locally grown flowers only. Um, and so we decided to to use some imports as well. But we've built over the years these amazing relationships with our local growers, and we're able to buy directly from a lot of them, which is really cool. I've actually been to the greenhouses. You know, I text them. They, they send me photos like, oh, do you think I should grow this one? Or, or like, what do you think the trends are for next year? So it's really cool. I mean, I'm not someone who – I honestly don't even have a – like a, a garden. I don't have time. To do. <laughs> that I, surprises I'm, me. I know. The person who sells flowers for a living, you don't even have a garden. I love them. And my mom and grandma were like mortified because they're amazing gardeners. But uh, I prefer <laughs> it, it to- It makes sense. Maybe you're around them all the time. Yeah, I right. love them. And I, you know, but I see them at work. Um, <laughs> so I don't really know that much about growing, but I've developed these great relationships with the local growers. And since we started, um, the local flower movement has- grown massively in Toronto, which is amazing. And there's actually now a collective that has uh, formed that sells just locally grown flowers from small scale farmers in the summer months, which is so cool. Like nothing like that existed, you know, five, six years ago. So that has been a great positive change. I think in general, the industry is becoming a lot more environmentally aware and conscious and customers are, are asking about it too. I want to pick up on something you said earlier about just this change you had to make. Uh, you mentioned COVID supply chain issues. I think for a lot of small business owners, whether they're just getting started or they're in the middle of their business journey, they've probably had to deal with this the last couple of years. I can almost say with certainty, especially with a perishable good, yeah. they've had to deal with this issue of supply chain disruption and how do I pivot? Um, it sounds like you made a difficult but necessary decision. Uh, for someone who inevitably might be watching this or listening here and facing this same decision, um, what sort of advice can you share about uh, how to, really it sounds like what you did is change your whole business model overnight almost. Yeah, it was, uh, it's something I struggled with for a long time sort of internally. I could see the writing on the wall. To be honest, I should have done it earlier, but I just, I think I didn't, I had to sit down and, and, and sort of really make a list and say, okay, what did I think about when I was starting the business, but what's the reality now and who am I responsible to now? I have a team of 12 plus people who rely on me for their income and uh, we have an amazing customer base who love us and they a lot of them love that we do local but the more I sort of looked through it that wasn't their number one 
reason why they kept shopping with us. I sort of always assumed it would be. And then the more conversations we had, really, they cared more about having beautiful arrangements that were good value. And it just sort of got to a point where I said, okay, we can't offer that to the customers right now. I don't want to have to lay off my staff and not be able to offer customers good value because I'm so like blindly sticking to this vision that I had six years ago when the world was different. And you also had to find probably new suppliers, right? I mean, your whole experience is with this local supply chain, greenhouses in Ontario, near Niagara Falls, and now you're sourcing stuff from all over the place. Yeah. I mean, how do you do that? If you're someone who's like, oh, I wanna do what Jennifer did. I mean, how do you do that so quickly? I I asked questions, you know, I luckily I had built great relationships over the years. And so there's a couple key people. I just sort of asked them how they did things. I guess I was just sort of now doing things the way other people were already doing them. Like a lot of people already use the imported flowers. So I did the hard thing at the beginning, you know, and then now I was just kind of doing the route that other people were already doing. Um, And, but it was a huge change for Ash. I mean, like the days of the week, we got the flowers, what kind of flowers we got, how we use them, the price of them. It was a quite a big shift. Um, And it's funny, I sort of expected a big pushback from everybody, but Literally, there was none. <laughs> People were just, they, they totally understood. You know, they said they understood that things, it was how difficult it was to run a business already during COVID. And it was, it was so stressful, um, you know, just trying to keep the business going. We still try to use as much local product as we can. And now we're going to the summer months where there's an amazing bounty of local products. So it's, it's really easy. But in February, it's a lot harder. I had to just sort of let go of my own ego, I think, because I had put so much stock in, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to use all locally grown flowers and everybody thinks it's impossible, but I'm going to do it. And, you know, we did it, but then we had to change. Speaking of change, you don't just sell flowers, right? You have other stuff on your website. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, you've got snacks. I think they're beverages, cards, for example. Um, You've been able to diversify what you offer which is a big advantage for someone, I would imagine, who also sells a perishable good. So how did you decide like what to pick and what sort of learnings could you share with folks who are also looking to diversify? Yeah, I mean, I think COVID sort of taught everyone that you can't just rely on one revenue stream. And so we were very lucky that, you know, we like we have some amazing friends who are florists who do just weddings and events. And obviously they just suddenly had nothing to do in March of 2020. So we were lucky that we, you know, we do, we had kind of have a a foot in a bunch of different areas, but we've always known that customers want a more sort of complete gifting experience. And again, it goes back to the wanting to make it easy for people. I always framed it as what would I want to receive? Like when I was making the arrangements, my standard for myself was always that myself as somebody who loves flowers would have to be really happy to receive this arrangement. And then we just did that with the gifts as well. So we thought, okay, it has to be something unique, not something you could just like get anywhere. Uh, we All of our add-ons are Canadian. A lot of them are Ontario made, but um, they're all Canadian made. Um, so sticking with that local model. Yeah. We want to support local businesses. Some of them have become really good friends. A lot of, literally some of them were, you know, they were making their candles, for example, like a, a kilometer away from our studio. It was so cool. They could walk them over to us. Um, and so 
we stuck with the local because, you know, we wanted to support other small businesses, but also highlight them um, to the customers who, you know, you're not going to find them at chapters or something, but uh, we really slowly added on. We resisted the temptation to sort of just go big right away. We thought, okay, this is something that a wide variety of people would be really happy to receive as a gift. And then, of course, it's not perishable. So from our perspective, it's a lot easier, you know, from an inventory uh, control perspective. So what we would do is, you know, we would try not to buy too much initially because I also learned pretty quickly that what I thought would be popular is not always the case. Did you ever buy some stuff? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so that we had- Like what? Uh, we had a few uh, like gift box items of things that I thought were super cute. Um, and no, literally nobody bought them. Nobody. There was too niche, you know, so- you any extras? No, sure. <laughs> I've given I've given them away. I literally, my poor friends have been giving them as gifts for years. I was like, oh, we still have twenty five more of those. Um, but yeah, so it had to have a wide enough variety of an audience while still being special, you know. So it's anyways that made me realize, okay, not everything's going to fit the bill for that. So we we would start small, and over the years we've developed and tested, figured out what works, what doesn't. But also, it's. Um, it sounds kind of obvious now, but initially we really didn't have the ability to track uh, the occasion that people were sending the arrangements for. And so once we finally started tagging them, actually using in Shopify, we would tag it. Uh, then we're like, oh, 40% of our orders are for birthdays. I thought it was like maybe 20. Um, and so then we started looking for more birthday specific add-ons, for example. So it sounds like having good photos, but not spending too much money necessarily, a very robust and engaging email connection with yeah. your customers, and also maybe some learnings about what add-ons they want and they don't want. Lots of great things in this interview. Jennifer Fallow, she is the founder of Wild North Flowers. Jennifer, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me.